Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hi, everybody, and welcome to Sports Legends of the Carolinas. I'm your host, Scott Fowler, sports columnist for the Charlotte Observer since 1994. And in this podcast, I seek out some of my favorite sports legends who made a mark in the Carolinas over the past three decades and ask them to tell me stories from their time on and off the field. DeLone fires to an open Smith. Steve Smith is going to go all the way. And the Carolina Panthers win in overtime. Five and one. And you still feel pretty good about yourself. You could have sworn we were 0-6. John Fox ripped our team a new behind in that team meeting. For this episode of Sports Legends of the Carolinas, I'm happy to have quarterback Jake DeLone. DeLone became a cult hero for the Panthers not long after his arrival in 2003 as an unheralded quarterback who had not been drafted. At the time he got to Charlotte, DeLone was already 28 years old and he had started just two NFL games. But in Carolina, DeLone found some magic dust and sprinkled it on the rest of the team. In his very first game against Jacksonville, he came in at halftime and led a comeback victory. That 2003 team went all the way to the Panthers' first ever Super Bowl. And that's when you knew, and it it really started to kind of change moving forward. DeLone would end up starting 90 games for Carolina over a seven-year career. He's a member of the Panthers' Hall of Honor, the team's primary radio analyst, and one of the most beloved players the Panthers have ever employed. He's also a proud Louisiana native. If you're like most people, it's going to take you a minute or two to get used to this Cajun accent, and then you're going to love it. We welcome Jake DeLone next on Sports Legends of the Carolinas. Jake, welcome to the show. Good to be here. Glad to uh, be on the show. And uh, yeah, it's kind of humbling when you say Carolina, you know, legend. That's uh, that's. That's humbling, but that's also cool. Well, we're, we're super happy to have you here, and thanks for making the time for us. We're in our studio in uh, Charlotte, and Jake has, has uh, come straight from a speaking engagement, so we really appreciate your time. And I do want to get pretty deep into your Panther history, Jake, but since you are, we're going to talk before the first Cleveland game and before we see the 2022 Panthers, let's start with some of your impressions on this current team. I know you went to visit their practice and maybe just start a little bit on Baker Mayfield. And also you had something really interesting to say about Iki Aquanu and his build <laughs> today. I want to hear you tell that one too. Yeah. So um, I was able to, uh, I wasn't able to go to training camp to watch a practice. I had a little 
shoulder surgery and I wasn't going to show up with an arm brace on and be that guy. So, uh, I, I unfortunately, I love to watch practices. I love to just kind of see guys and see what they're shaped like and how they move and interact. And so I went to a practice um, this last week and it's, um, it's always good to see what they look like in the flesh. And, um, you know, we'll start with Baker. Baker's a thick individual. I mean, he is a, he looked thick like upper body, but lower bodies. When I say thick, like he's muscular, he's put together. He, um, to me, he's almost like a Russell Wilson type of, Mm. type of thickness. Cause I was the honorary, um, captain for the Seattle Panther playoff game in 2015 season. Yeah, Yeah. And I was floored. When I walked out and saw Russell, I knew he wasn't the tallest, but I was shocked at how thick he was. And that's why he's so durable, uh, in my opinion. So Baker, kind of, he kind of resembles that and pretty strong arm. It's, it's a thump. The ball comes out. And uh, watching him throw yesterday, uh, at practice, very accurate. And I think that's something we always uh, – uh, maybe that's what people thought of. But he looked good. Um, it just seems like – and I don't know – I've always believed this. I always believed the quarterback – in whatever way possible, they own a press conference. Yeah. However it may be, you know eh, it's the starter. You just know. I like to think I could control a press conference the way I wanted to. I like to think Cam Newton could control a press conference. And we were total opposites. But that's just – and I always got that with Baker. It was Mm -hmm. always – and he just seems like he's that guy. So I know he's excited about this opportunity. And it's kind of crazy. I mean, he's so young. What, 26? And it feels like – this is a last chance type of opportunity. Yeah. That's the crazy thing. It's like we don't give players time to develop anymore. And so I'm anxious to see how he comes in and hopefully this team. I think we're getting there with this football team. I can't say I thought that the last two years, to really? be quite honest. Yeah. Well, 2020. You sounded pretty optimistic on well, the radio. I, I am. 2020, <laughs> you know, that's a COVID year. Could yeah. not participate as an announcer. But watching everything, and I was really and truly floored. We stayed in games. I mean, we had opportunities. We just went 0 for 7 or 0 for 8 in game-winning drives. It's not can't, – can't do that in the NFL. Last year, I just felt we were spinning our wheels. I, where, where are we going? It, like nothing was happening. And I think a lot – yeah, I understand Christian wasn't there. But 14 out of 17 weeks, we have a different offensive line set up. That's, that's not a recipe. That's not a recipe. And I truly believe the defense probably in their mind had to say – we got to make a play. We got to do something else. We don't have Christian. You know, we're struggling up front. Quarterback play is not as consistent as we would like. And you can, you start questioning things. So I just think we did the right thing by getting help up front. You have to be able to control the line of scrimmage. I mean, we saw it best with John Fox. I mean, I know he wanted to control defensive line of scrimmage, but <laughs> really and truly, it was the blueprint for, mm-hmm. for sustained success. And so, um, I like where we're going. I'm like you. If Christian McCaffrey stays healthy, we've got a chance. I, are we a playoff team? I, we can be. You just got to get hot because there's going to be a team that's going to go the opposite way, that we're all penciling in as a playoff team, and there's going to be one or two that jump up. So that's going to be something that remains to be seen. Love what we did all offensive line-wise. Receiver-wise, DJ Morris, the, the hidden superstar, doesn't make you know 
a lot of noise, I guess you could say, usually true diva wide receivers make. Right. Um, he's, uh, he is not He is not that high-maintenance no, guy. Yeah. No, he's not. And defensively, listen, we have to stay healthy. I think we're thin on the defensive line, mm. but I like what we have. Brian Burns, it's just different. Seeing him in the flesh yesterday. and he, Guys, it's one thing to be a young guy in college, and they're young, but when they get to the NFL, you, they, you haven't grown up yet. You know, man, you still continue to grow. And I just remember Thomas David vividly. He turned into a different human mm. size-wise. I mean, 2005, first-round pick, wearing number 47, safety, special teams demon. Then he starts turning into the linebacker. And it just took two or three years, and then that body just started to develop. And I'm not talking weight room body, just physical grown man strength. And looking at Brian Burns at practice, I was like, okay, it's happening. You see it. Um, so we need we need Derek Brown to play like a top 10 pick. I think it's there. I truly believe it's there. Uh, I've seen him do it. Um, and so I'd like to see that consistent. Ionitis was a good pickup for us, the D lineman. And uh, Yitor, like to see the next step that he mm-hmm. takes. But uh, Marquise Haynes, you know what you're going to get. But we're, we're thin after that. Yeah. So yeah. that's something. Uh, Shaq Thompson, Shaq, good to see him back. Both linebackers, uh, Littleton and Wilson, uh, some veterans there. So, But, uh, again, we have the rookie, I think Smith, number 40, who's a beautiful-looking athlete. But is he ready yet? I don't know. He sounds like he's going to play. And secondary, J.C. Horn. And Jeremy Chin, like, wow. When you see them on the field, you're like, okay, I know. look at these guys. You know, uh, the Jeremy Chin is almost like Adrian Wilson, who was the all-pro from the Cardinals, who's now like assistant GM. It, it's just that look. He has that physical presence. And uh, J.C. Horn, my goodness. I mean, he is a large man at corner. C.J. Henderson, I was probably like most last year. I didn't see anything last year on the right. field. Um and it just kind of sounds like he's a very quiet individual and, you know, I guess a blow to the ego, your first-round pick, you're traded away. and But uh, everything you read and see, just watching him, I don't think he's the most de- demonstrative person, but watching him at practice, like, you could tell it was somebody who was enjoying himself. And uh, Dante Jackson, really surprised we were able to get him back. I'll be honest with you. I really? thought somebody was going to yeah. really pay a ton. But, um, yeah, so what I like where we're at. I'm optimistic. You didn't tell me about Iki Aquanu's ankles. Okay, so Iki Aquanu, I, I so wanted us to draft an offensive lineman <laughs> so bad. You know, um, just getting that tackle spot solidified. I really think Panay Sewell would have been our pick last year, but, you know, Detroit picked before us. Uh, but I'm glad we have J.C. Horn. Let me also <laughs> say that. But Iki Aquanu, so wanted one of the offensive linemen, didn't know how it would fall. And watching him, Steve Smith, Willie Rove, Julius Peppers, three best football players I've ever played with. Mm. It's not it's not close. Willie Rove was a large man that was a huge barrel-chested tre- upper body and not the biggest legs. But from his, like, really his knees down, a little bow-legged, but the tiniest ankles you'll ever want to see <laughs> on a large man. And he could move like a deer. And that's what his – I thought his greatness was his feet. He could – Someone almost be out of position, but he could remove himself, and it was uh he never was out of position and his strength. Watching Icky yesterday in shorts at practice, and I said he's got small ankles, and like I was giddy laughing to myself. I'm like, oh my gosh, he's got small ankles. It's not this big. It's like he can move, and just watching him move at practice, 
very, very optimistic for the future. The small ankles did the trick for you. (laughs) I just, man, I don't know if that's me being silly or whatnot, (laughs) but I just, I never forget watching Willie. Like, how does he do that? When I saw Icky, I was like, oh, okay, I like it. So Willie Rofe, who was, uh, for those who don't uh, know who Willie Rofe was, explain briefly. He was a top 10 pick out of Louisiana Tech from the Saints. Gosh, played well over a decade with the Saints, left tackle, and then uh, finished up in Kansas City with Dick Vermeule and that bunch. Trent Green, I think. Hall of Famer? Yeah, made the Hall of Fame. I was shocked. He made it on the second ballot. Mm -hmm. Uh, Really shocked because he was multiple times Mm -hmm. All-Pro. Great. So him, Steve Smith, and and Joe Peppers were your three all-timers. Not close. Really? Yeah, when I say not close, like not close. Not close. Yeah. They were – it was – it's them – and a lot of great, really good football players, but those three were on a different level. Hmm. Now, did you uh, mentioned a story. Do you have a racehorse named Steve Smith? I have a racehorse named X Clown, which X-Clown. is named after Steve Smith. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, yes. I, I try to name horses after after people uh, or after football stuff. Okay. I, I really well, give us some more other, so other examples. I've named some from two minute to alert alert, which is something we used to do at a line of scrimmage um, to X clown. Let's see. I named one Mangum. He hasn't run yet after Chris Mangum because <laughs> yeah. he looks like he's going to be as solid as could be. Um, I've named one Two Jet, which is a protection. I named one Home Visit, like you go on a home visit to a team. Uh-huh. Recruiting. I've, yeah, yeah, I've named one Fifty Protection, which was a protection we used all the time. I named one Seventy Two <laughs> Reno. I named one Z Drive. Wow, you really did. Yeah, yeah. no, I, I've named them. Yeah. Uh, I have not named one Moose yet. It's, okay. And I, I kind of wait. I'm not sure, you know. And uh, I did name one this year, and he hasn't run yet. Uh, I named him Thomas Davis. Really? Yeah. All right. I bought him last year, and um, Thomas is so excited. He was so excited when I asked him if I could name one after <laughs> uh-huh. him. Um, so yeah, I enjoyed doing that. But X Clown named him after Steve. He wasn't the biggest in stature, but he had muscles all over the place, and he's got a little fiery attitude. So I named him X Clown. And, and that uh, one's won? He's done very well for me. He's uh-huh. uh, probably won about five races, and he's made over a quarter of a million dollars. He's done very Whoa. well. Yeah, he's is that uh, your biggest winner ever? Big, um, yeah. yes. I mean, I, no, no, it's not. I oh, had okay. another one. Um, well, I had another one named Forest Lake, named after the subdivision we lived in in Cleveland. All right. The yeah. dad's name was Forestry. You know, you just you try. I try to kind of piecemeal it, but uh, and I was in Cleveland at the time when uh, I did the mating. I guess you could say. So mm. she was. She's been by far, but uh, right now he's the the, the highest earner. X Clown and X Clown, of course, is the sixty-nine-yard touchdown pass he threw on the first play of double overtime and the best NFL game I think I ever saw in person. Delone fires to an open Smith. Steve oh. Smith is going to go all the way. No flags down. Smith scores and the Carolina Panthers win in overtime. Was that it the best one was, you ever played in? You think it was? That, that playoff run was such a blur. Like when you get into the season. You know, it's like the first month and a half or, or so. It's like it takes a while for it to get moving. And then it just seems like after Halloween, it's like fast forward. Mm-hmm. Uh, teams kind of start settling in. You kind of know who you are, what you are. And it's just like, I don't want to say cruise control, but it is just it just goes. And once the playoffs start, you're running on fumes and you don't know any better. Mm-hmm. So that game, it really – Listen, I'm glad it went to double overtime and we have this story of X-Clown, 
we beat that team all game long. It should have never went to overtime. It should have never even come close to overtime. So that's the thing you, you, you were think up about. twenty three oh. to twelve, I think, we were, uh, if uh, I remember. And I want to say we we kicked the field goal and made it. Yeah. Somebody called a timeout, and then John had to re-kick it. And I don't know if somebody jumped off sides and backed it up, and he hits the upright, and it was just one thing after another <laughs> uh, until you know we were finally able to uh, seal the deal. Before we get to a little bit more of that 2003 season, you have told a story previously that I'd like you to tell again, and that, and that is how you chose um, Carolina over Dallas. I didn't know you were such a big Dallas Cowboys fan. I was the same way. So then you had a chance to be the the quarterback for the Cowboys. How did that not happen? Well, I was, and it's, I, it's just so funny how the NFL works. I guess you can say. So 2002 was my last year in New Orleans, and I was going to be a free agent, and I did very well that preseason and the preseason before. I I did well. Mike McCarthy was my offensive coordinator, and I was ready. And um, but I had to bide my time. And then so as that season went on, I knew I was going to be a free agent. Wife's pregnant with our first, and uh, she was going to have the baby in December. And so, you know, you just you grind in a way. Listen, Aaron Brooks was the starting quarterback, and yeah. he was, you know, he was their starter. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I knew I'd have an opportunity. And so my agents, uh, uh, Rick Smith, Priority Sports, at Rick Smith and Mark Bortlestein out of Chicago, fantastic agents, very extremely reputable agents. And so – we knew there was going to be some opportunities, and we thought Carolina was going to be one of them. Marty Herney and Rick Smith were, were, were good friends. and So sure enough, it came about uh, Chicago Bears. I think Jerry Angelo was the um, GM at the time. He told Rick, yeah, Jake's nothing more than a backup. We'll bring him in to backup. You know, uh, yeah, so that was all, that was good. <laughs> that, that was good beating them in the playoffs. Wow, in Chicago. I didn't know that yeah. backstory. Okay, so, wow. uh, yeah. Um, Jake's a backup. But, um, you know, I visited Carolina first and loved it. Spent a lot of time with Coach Fox. Went to see, met Robin at their house in Ballantyne at the time. Uh, spent time with Dan Henning, who mm. just – I left Mike McCarthy, who was uh, an up-and-coming, and you knew he was going to be a head coach, and we had a heavy volume offense with New Orleans. Um and then I came here, and I'll never forget Mike McCoy, the quarterback coach, when we were meeting. And Mike and I are only a couple of years apart. And he actually played in Amsterdam in NFL Europe the year before I did. Huh. So we were pretty close in age. And, you know, Mike said, hey, this is going to be very different than what you did with McCarthy. He said it's, it's pretty simplistic. It's very – he said and – and I questioned him a little bit more. And he goes, you just got to trust me. He said it's um, – it's a fresh way of looking at things. So sure enough, that's kind of how I love my visit. Got a, got offered a, a contract. And when you go on those visits, they don't want you to leave. Oh, I bet. You know, they want to sign you. Yeah. And, I, and I'm going to be honest, it was a two years, $5 million deal. And I think four of it was guaranteed. But it was, basically the whole thing was going to be guaranteed. And and now at the time, that was re- good backup, really good backup money and – it's a chance if it works out. It's a it's a win win for I guess player and, um, and and franchise. So I'll go to Dallas on my visit, and Marty didn't want me to go, and my agent told me that. My agent was good friends said Marty said the kid was undrafted, kid didn't go to the combine, kid signed with his local team. You have to trust me, Marty. 
let him go. He's not going to make a decision just because he's the last place he's been. He said, you got to just trust me. So I flew to Dallas. Parcells is the head coach. Uh, I was a big fan of Parcells. The quarterback coach was Sean Payton. Hmm. And Sean and John Fox were best of friends because they had just left the Giants a few years earlier. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, I had a great time on my visit there that day. Um, Spent some time with Parcells, who was a racehorse owner also. Oh, I'd forgotten that. And he – we talked about his horses a lot. And I, I knew some of his horses and stuff. And oh, so I'm surprised he didn't get you with so that. So it was yeah. – uh, and then spent the day with Sean Payton. That's who I spent the day with. Uh-huh. And really liked Sean a lot. You could just tell, oh, this guy is somebody you want to follow. And so it was just going to be a day visit. Jerry Jones was not there and, you know, spent all day and – I had to go in the side room to make a phone call, talk to the, you know, that's how it works to see, hey, and Rick was like, listen, they offered a two-year, $4 million deal, a uh, million dollars difference, which in today's day and age for these quarterbacks is nothing, but we just had our first child. And like, that's, a, I never made a, I didn't make crap yet. I mean, this is, yeah, that's a million dollars. <laughs> what were you making in New Orleans? Oh, gosh, I want to say that that final year was six fifty, maybe, okay. whatever the minimum was at that yeah. age, or five fifty, whatever. And so, uh, and so I remember talking to Rick, my agent, and he was like, "Hey, they're not going to go up." And he said, "You got to trust me." He said, "Dallas is not ready to win." He said, "They're still worried about baseball players being their quarterback." And he was right. He said, "Carolina is close to winning." He said, "They're close. Um, they have drafted well." He said, "And they're, they're coming." He goes and they have a top ten pick. He said, "If you're ever going to listen to me." You need to go to Carolina. And I took that to heart. But gosh, there was just something about, you know, I I wanted to play for Dallas. Like I I could see myself. I wanted the pressure of having the star on my on my helmet. I wanted that. Because Sean Payton, he'd be like, hey, what's going on? And I, and I told him, I said, Sean, it's a million dollars difference. Business-wise, it's idiotic. I'm still here. And he was like, you think they'll go? I, I don't know. And I'm like, we're like little girls. My wife wants me to stay that, that night, and Jerry's coming in later. I can meet with him. And my wife was like, you just go talk to him. Just let him meet you. I'm telling you. So it's gone. So I said, look, I need to call home. I need to. And so we were going into this room that I had used earlier, and it's locked. Another one's locked. And, and the person, not the intern or whoever, was like, just here, just use this office. So I walked in, and I get on the phone, dial nine to get out, dial my house phone, <laughs> and wife answers, and we're talking, and I'm just like, I don't know what to do. You know, and I'm my head's down, and I look up, and I swear I'm looking at the desk, and it's a little organizer, and it's sticky note, bigger note, you know, a legal pad, like, and it's Charlotte, 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 Charlotte. <laughs> and I'm a big, listen, I'm, I'm a pretty religious guy, you know, I'm a devout Catholic and I just believe in signs. I, that's just me sometimes. And I remember <laughs> saying, I'm on the phone. I said, All right, I'm coming home. And she goes, what? I said, I'm coming home. I'm going to Charlotte. Hung up the phone and I said, hey, let's take me to the airport. We'll talk later. And they took me to the airport and I came home and it was Charlotte Jones. It was, it was her office. They put me in and yeah. And that, that nailed my decision. So Charlotte Jones is <laughs> Jerry Jones is, his daughter. Right. And who's, right. uh, she's an executive in the club. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it was like, okay. They put her, put you in her office and that lost them Jake DeLong. Well, and it's, uh, but <laughs> and that in a million dollars, that in a million dollars, <laughs> yeah. but it was true. It was just like, 
there was there was no turning back. All right, that's it. That's what we're doing. Wow. Yeah. Well, that was that was a sign that worked out so well. We'll be back right after this. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome back. So, Jake, you left the Cowboys in the lurch. You came to uh, Carolina. We'll get into the first game you ever played soon, but uh, you mentioned off-air that you met Del Curry very early. How did that happen? Yeah, so we um, we came here, um, my wife and I, right after we – when I came to sign, and I said, look, we're going to come and we're going to buy a house, find something – and um, and I guess living in Louisiana my whole life and living in New Orleans, there wasn't many neighborhoods, I don't want to say to choose from, but it was pretty pretty easy. Hey, you live here, 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 here. Pretty easy. When you get to Charlotte, you can live anywhere. Right. I mean, you can live yeah. north, south, Too east. Many yeah. yeah. And so we were like, oh, my gosh. And so we met this awesome lady by the name of Judy Perel. And Miss Judy uh, was a real estate agent and um she did a ton of players and we just fell in love with her my wife and i it was almost like we met a, a surrogate mom mm, you know yes, yeah. so to speak and we just kind of hit it off and um and so we moved to charlotte i, I get an apartment at first because we weren't ready to find something and that's why i think why we liked her she was like i think she told us quit looking like just stop like let's find a place like mm. let's get an apartment somewhere i mean like yeah, she cost herself money in essence, so to speak. You know, <laughs> right, like no, yeah. like so uh, we did that, and and sure enough, it was the first week we were there. We came in on a set weekend, and we moved in, and the following weekend was Masters mm. Sunday. Okay, and she invited us. She goes, "Hey, we're gonna have a Masters watch party at the house. It's beautiful, small little house. I mean, it was just a beautiful neighborhood. I can't remember the street, though, not far from the stadium. And I walk in the house. And there's a lot of people there, and and I'm not. I don't get. Um, I don't get intimidated very much. I like I, I walk in and you know kind of meet everybody and right sitting in the recliner right next to the door was Dale Curry, hmm. 
And I remember saying to myself right when I walked in, that's that's Del Curry. I mean, like I just I like basketball and yeah. like so I told my wife, I said, That's Del Curry. She goes, I know the name and I could tell so just the most unassuming, like he's a superstar. You know, and it just hey, how you doing? Well, Miss Judy's husband, Pepper, and Dale were best friends. Oh yeah. Judy so Dale House and like she was like a surrogate mo- mother to all the kids. I mean, so it was just kind of one of those. And fast forward a couple of years later, there is a uh, surprise 60th or 65th birthday party for Miss Judy's husband at Steph- at Dale Curry's house. Wow. So I'm following a two-year-old around at the time, Lauren, <laughs> and on the basketball court shooting baskets is this little small guy named Steph Curry. And he's like 14 years old, 50, whatever it is, 15 years old, shooting baskets. And I might have shot one or two, you know, just kind of, you're not thinking anything. You're just like, he's okay. Yeah, it's just, he's he's shooting his, it's it's, um, Del Curry's son. Mm -hmm. And really, Lauren was chasing a basketball around. And then he goes to Davidson, and I remember calling home and telling my, um, I call him Uncle Jack. I remember telling him he was ex-basketball coach, and and I said, hey, NCAA tournament, it was a sophomore year. I said, you need to watch Davidson. He said, why? I said, remember Dale Curry? He goes, well, yeah. I said, his son. I said, he looks like he's 12. I said, the jersey's too big for him. I said, this guy is unbelievable. And sure enough, they made it that year. Yeah, And he was like, this guy's unbelievable. And I said, yeah. And so I just had this, you know, one, it was Del Curry, and then now you have Steph. Yeah, it's just pretty. And then uh, Seth yeah. came to my house uh, not long after. We did <laughs> we did something. Um, Good Friday is a very big occasion in South Louisiana, and that is toward the end of Lent. And Good Friday, kind of everybody grew up. You went to your grandmother's house. And there was a big crawfish boil on Good Friday in the afternoon. That's exactly. kind of like, that is like the big thing back home. Mm-hmm. And we couldn't go back. That whatever reason with football or whatnot. So I FedExed four sacks of live crawfish up to Chalice Farms in Charlotte. <laughs> and uh, I had I had all my boil, boil stuff and we invited the neighborhood and uh, my wife, I said, listen, you got to make fettuccine because a lot of them, they won't know how to peel and and so we're there, and that was like we brought Louisiana to Charlotte. And oh, I never right. forget, we had some friends, and I never forget the twin boys who were the same age as one of my girls. And I pulled the pinchers off the claws because these are live crawfish. You know, I hadn't oh, borrowed right. them yet. Yeah. And uh, gave the kids the crawfish, and they racing crawfish. And I never forget the wife said, <laughs> That's about right. She goes, I have thousands of dollars worth of toys in my house, and my kids haven't moved for two hours playing with the crawfish. <laughs> up, you know, so, but. That night, the person who ate the most crawfish was Seth Curry. Seth Curry. Seth Curry. Yeah, that would have been, gosh, 2009. Yeah, so I don't know. I think he was up right out of high school, out of yeah. college at that Sounds time, whatever. Right. Yeah. 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 So it was kind of funny. It was, uh, so that family just became good friends with that family. And um, I guess Steph's done all right for himself. Yeah, he's, <laughs> I guess done, he, he's done okay. I guess he's done all yeah. right for himself. He, uh, we were talking off air, but I had covered his uh, graduation ceremony at age 34. He, 13 years later, and they were giving him, you know, crap at the thing for uh, all his ten, former teammates. Said, well, I mean, that's okay, Steph, but we got our degrees when we were 22. You're 34, just now getting it, so don't be too proud. But uh, he, yeah, 
it's amazing that he went back in a way. I think it's yeah. awesome. Yeah. I, it's just such a testament to, to who he is. I mean, that's mm-hmm. that's who he is. Yeah, you know? yeah. And isn't it odd that now Dell, of course, is the Hornets' primary uh, TV analyst. Right. And you, you guys kind of do the same thing. Well, let's get back to uh, 2003 and Jacksonville. So that game, 14-0 to at half. And sort of pick up the story from there. Yeah, so uh, Rodney was named the starter, and um, <clears throat> Chris Winkie and I, Foxy, Coach Fox, had a talk with us that week. Hey, both of y'all be ready to play. Jake, you're going to be named the two. Chris, you're the three. Um, you know, we're going with Rodney, and we'll see how it goes. And I think everybody kind of knew, you know, Rodney came in to back up Chris the year prior. Mm. It just so happened, you know, Rodney played well, and the team overachieved. They went seven and nine. I don't think anybody thought a one and 15 team would go seven and nine and so Rodney was the incumbent but Rodney was in retirement mode at that time and I don't think he I, I think he, he was he, ready to be a backup yeah Rodney yeah. was fine and happy and I mean he was Rodney freaking Pete you know what I mean yeah. watching him at USC and played forever you know yeah. he was Jesse he was, Jackson married him and Holly he, he was the mayor I mean Rod, <laughs> Rodney was the mayor and just beloved by the locker room and so we would struggle and we get booed off Booed out the stadium, going in the, in the first halftime. Game. For yeah, we get booed, and mm. I remember it. And I'm saying to myself, yeah, like they, they probably gonna pull him. He just had an idea, mm. and um, Mike came up to me and looked at me. Okay, buddy, you're going. Jaguars, Rodney Pete pulled. Third quarter, Jake Delong replaces Pete. He had an intriguing second half, and that was it. You know, and uh, next thing you know, I get called in the game and. Uh, played against Jack Del Rio, mm. and uh, he was a head coach in Jacksonville who had just left here because he was a D coordinator. And, you know, it wasn't the cleanest half, but we went right down the field. We were able to get a touchdown, kind of got the crowd into it. Uh, and then in the fourth quarter, we were able to score a couple of more touchdowns. I was able to hit Steve on a back shoulder. Um, and then a two-minute drive, you know, to go down the field. And fourth down, you know, it's how you write stories sometimes, fourth down play and Ricky Pearl was the fourth read on the play. You know, it's just it was they only rushed four, and this one wasn't here, this one wasn't here. And to his credit, and that's what made Ricky who he was, he still ran the play like he was the primary guy, and he did what he was supposed to do. And, you know, I had the protection, and I was able to hit him. And, uh, you know, we won the game. So it was awesome. It was storybook. It was kind of like – how do you act, so to speak? And it was it was just great. It was uh, that was that was the start of something big. Little did little did we know. Little did you know. Seven, I think, or maybe eight fourth quarter comebacks right. in that season. The cardiac cat's nickname was born. At the I was watching a highlight of that. Uh, so it's fourth and eleven from the twelve. I the, believe the that's pro, what it was. I think, yeah, the pro TD. Twenty two seconds left. Panthers down twenty three eighteen. And you throw it just to his fingertips. I mean, barely over a defender. Yeah, Jason Kraft, I believe, was, was the corner. Yeah, yeah. And so then you come flying up there. I mean, like in a full <laughs> run. This is it. Delon to Ricky Kroll on fourth down. Do you remember sort of that? Oh yeah. I mean, I, yeah. You just you kind of get in the moment in a two minute drive, like. It just it's everything kind of gets quiet. I don't know. I just find everything would get quiet, mm-hmm. and you just in the moment, and then you can see it like I kind of double clutch before I throw it, mm-hmm. and I'm like, okay, okay, I got it, you know. And then I let it go, and it's like he's gonna catch it. It's gonna mm-hmm. happen, and it happens. And the first thing you look for a flag. Yeah. And if there's not a flag, and the, back then I don't think there was replay. 
at that time in 03. Right. I'm not sure. Yeah. yeah. And it's just, you know, Chris Mangum clotheslines Ricky Pro, you know, and Chris, one of my best friends. You know, it just, it just, it just, yeah. It was awesome. It all happened at once. It was awesome. Like that. Yeah. And that really did start something. And so, I mean, you never looked back really at that point. When when did you realize that uh, this was, whoa, this is this feels different? The next morning. I, well, yeah. I knew it that night. We went back to the apartment. Just, there was just no family in town. Just Carrie at the game. We had a babysitter mm. for Lauren. So we went back to the apartment, and it was just us three. Um, and the next morning driving in, uh, Dan Henning called me and he said, okay, you're the starter. Like it's a long season. And I think he was so good for me because he had been through so much. Dan never got flustered. He just, he never got, he was in his sixties. He never got Seen flustered. Yeah. And he was like, all right, you're the starter. Basically telling me, yeah, Rodney's not playing again. You know, mm-hmm. it's your team. Things are going to change. You're going to be looked at different and stuff like that. Just kind of giving me that grandfatherly type advice, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what it was. And, you know, it just kind of went from there. And uh, we started out with 5-0. and Yeah. Went to Tampa. Uh, really, really didn't play well uh, that game. But they, they were fast. I mean, that's when I saw, oh, my gosh. Like, I see why they won the Super Bowl. You know, it, it was fast. Uh, beat them. Beat Atlanta at home pretty easy. We played the Saints week four. Mm-hmm. Never forget that. They came to play us. And we beat them. Uh, that must have been big for you. That was Every big. Every time you beat the I Saints, always, I would think. I yeah. always slept unbelievably well the night before a game. Like that was my really? best night's sleep for whatever yeah. reason. Um, I was so wide awake early that morning to play the Saints. Like, and I was worried. I was like, okay, you're too, you're you're too juice. You're too because that just wasn't me. But I wanted just to beat them so bad because, like, you know, hey, I wasn't good enough for them. Very simple. And Baker's going to have that feeling next week. He's going to feel that. Mm-hmm. And and I'm glad he's actually said, listen, I'm not a robot, guys. This is going to be yeah. – yeah, I want to beat him. Yeah, yeah. you got to be honest. Yeah. It's but, I mean, I tried same, not to right? – I tried yeah. to say, hey, listen, that was the end. This, no, I mean, I, you want to beat him. Sure. And we beat him, and then we go to uh, Indy and beat them. We're 5-0. and And then we play Tennessee and Steve McNair, and they whipped our tail in Bank of America Stadium. And we're five and one. So you get get in the next day on a Monday and you still feel pretty good about yourself. We're seven and nine the year before. This team, we're five and one. Tennessee's good. We didn't play that well. John Fox ripped our team a new behind in that team meeting. You could have sworn we were 0-6. I mean, he just lit into us like no other. And and but that was he, he was develop he knew what we had. he was developing this football team. It wasn't like seven wins, one in fifteen and seven wins, like no, this team is more than that. And um and that's when you knew. Mm, okay. Mm-hmm. All right, this and it was a certain standard that and it, it really started to kind of change moving forward. Thanks so much for listening to Sports Legends of the Carolinas. You've just heard the first half of our conversation but there's much more to come. Do you see any similarities in Baker with you? I do see some similarities, yeah. I mean, you want to win, you got to take a chance some, right. sometime. At some point. Will he do that this year? Probably so. I had a great run here. I get cut, rightfully so. Then I go to Cleveland. Listen, Baker started out in Cleveland. Maybe he can come here and it can be a good run. You know, kind of, it's kind of be the, be the reverse. For that, please purchase a premium subscription to our show exclusively on Apple Podcasts. 
And for video of these interviews, visit charlotteobserver.com slash sportslegends. going to go deep in I'm Scott Fowler, and this is Sports Legends of the Carolinas. This show is produced by Jeff Siner and Kata Stevens, and the director of audio at McClatchy is Davin Coburn. For lots more content and to continue supporting this kind of work, please visit charlotteobserver.com slash sportslegends and consider a digital subscription. Connect with me on Twitter at Scott underscore Fowler or by email at sfowler at charlotteobserver.com. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you like what you hear, please share with a friend. See you next week.